Welcome to the Distrust and Disparities Podcast, Voices from the Margins of Healthcare. On this podcast, we will explore both current and historical cases of medical injustices within the American healthcare system. We will get into how we can overcome this systemic mistreatment, advocate for ourselves, and close the gap on poor health outcomes and disparities. I'm your host, Jasmine Moore, a registered nurse, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Camille White. Eight o'clock comes. I'm begging, I'm pleading, my family is advocating for my wife. Still no scan. Nine o'clock comes, they say that they need to do a blood transfusion. And I ask and I'm begging again, do something, where's this CT scan? I thought it was supposed to be performed stat hours ago. At which point the staff at Cedar sinai Medical Center tells me that your wife isn't a priority right now. In episode nine, we discuss black maternal mortality in Kira Johnson, a black mother who died from a preventable hemorrhage after the birth of her second child. And we highlight for Kira for moms, the maternal health advocacy organization created by Kira's husband, Charles Johnson. Let's jump into this week's episode. So on this week, we wanted to discuss the black maternal health crisis going on here in the United States. I know for me this and Camille, this was one of the main reasons that we wanted to start this podcast. So yeah, it's it's one of the main reasons we wanted to start the podcast. And especially since we're at the age now where we're considering starting families and, you know, learning about all the statistics and and seeing what is out there for mothers, but especially black mothers, it's it's concerning. And we we wanted to spend many episodes on this because unfortunately this is one story that we can talk about, but there are so many others. And the more awareness hopefully means more advocacy and change in the outcomes that black mothers face. Cause it is a crisis, like you said. Yes, it is a crisis. And just looking at the statistics, and I know just over the summer, I participated in the Black Mamas Matter. They had a conference. So just hearing about what people on the research end, doulas, nurses, people in the hospital are doing to work to counteract these statistics. Because honestly, the statistics, it's scary. It's depressing. It makes you Mm -hmm. scared to have a child you know, you're concerned for one, your child's life and also concerned for your own life. So it's Mm -hmm. scary being pregnant and having a child should be a joyous occasion. It shouldn't be like a scary moment. But unfortunately, the statistics and the outcomes, they say a different story. So you have reason to be concerned, reason to advocate and figure out ways that we can make changes to what's going on. So I'm hopeful, but then also just in the back of your mind, you just have these negative statistics, you know, these stories which are bringing about change and, Mm -hmm. you know, making things, but it's still scary. I'll jump into, we just wanted to share some of the background information, just the research that we were doing about the statistics. So globally, the number of women that have been dying in childbirth have been going down in the recent decades. However, the U.S. is following a whole nother trend. So since 1987, maternal mortality has doubled 
in the U.S. and mortality, that's the number of women that are dying in childbirth. Approximately 800 maternal deaths occur each year in the U.S. And these deaths are preventable. They're preventable childbirth complications. And for Black women, the statistics are even scarier. So Black women are three times more likely to die from these complications than white women. Also, Black women are three to four more times likely to die from pregnancy-related conditions such as cardiac issues, hemorrhage. Like I said, the rates for women in the U.S. is just rising, but for Black women, it's double, triple the Mm -hmm. amount that white women face. And it's like, why is this happening? What's going on? So a lot of people have been bringing this issue awareness, especially Black women, Black advocacy groups. Like, why is this happening? Especially people such as Serena Williams, even the track star Allison Felix are just bringing up their stories of what's happening. And it's just like, you keep hearing the same thing over and over. Like, One, they aren't listening to the mom when they're telling them, hey, Mm -hmm. something is going on. Like I said, these are preventable complications that you can address. And I was doing some research and it was just showing on the maternity units, there's like a lack of like standardization and care. So if we like notice a complication, certain things you should be doing to respond to this crisis quickly. You should be identifying it quickly so that you can prevent a death, but it's just not happening. And additionally, the data is not being reported of the number Mm -hmm. of women that are dying in childbirth or having these complications. So one, there's not accurate records. So our hospitals looking into these matters, addressing what's going on. And like I was saying, creating standards of care. So if something happens, you'll know how to respond, what to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And also is Black women, we know that they're dying of higher rates, having more complications. And a lot of times the article that I was reading, it was titled Stop Blaming Black Women for the reason that they're dying. A lot of times they say, oh, Black women, you know, they're at higher risk for, you know, hypertension and, you know, they may not have like a lack of support, but we can't use this as the same crutch for this poor outcomes it's not valid. The underlying reason is racism for it to be two to three times higher. Because a lot of times in these cases, regardless of their income, education, or location, Black women are still having worse health outcomes. You could be the most educated Black woman, like Serena, you can be rich and famous, and you could still potentially have poor health outcomes. You can still die. So you can't just keep blaming it on Black women like it's your fault, hypertension, all this. You're not following up with appointments. Even if you do that, go to the best doctor, go to the best neighborhood to have your baby, you still are at risk for dying. And it's just ridiculous. Like something needs to be done. Like I said, this stuff is preventable complications. Like hospitals, they need to look at their practices, policies, talk to the providers because we are failing women. And like we were talking about, If we improve the health outcomes for Black women, we're going to improve the health outcomes for all women in America. So Mm -hmm. something needs to be done. Yeah, especially when you can't just blame it on certain medical conditions that you might see more predominantly in Black women when no, the statistics say otherwise where... It's more than that. And like you said, at the foundation of it is racism, where you have people who work in the healthcare industry, who are healthcare providers, 
who still think that black women and black people don't experience pain in the same way or they don't experience pain as much as other people when that is a racist ideology born out of why you thought it was okay, why your ancestors thought it was okay to enslave us. People just don't listen to black patients. They don't listen to black mothers Mm -hmm. who are telling them there is something wrong. I am in pain. Something is happening and I need you to figure it out. And they're dismissed and they're ignored. And time and time again, Mm -hmm. when they're ignored, they end up dead. When they're ignored and dismissed, like, like Susan Moore from our episode eight, listen to black women. That's what we're asking for. And that's not a lot. We're like, we're not asking right, for a lot. That's just the basis. The, like, the basic, just <laughs> the simplest thing. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the simplest thing that you can do for us is to listen to us. And y'all constantly time and time again, don't. Yeah, so let's jump into this week's story, which is basically the same thing. Like you said, listening to Black women, listening to Black patients, listening to Black people, period, Mm -hmm. about what's going on. This week, we talk about Kira Johnson. Kira was an active 39-year-old woman married to her husband, Charles Johnson, for 10 years, and they had a son who they also named Charles, who was 19 months old. And they were so excited and elated when they found out they would be having a second child. And he pointed out she was in great shape. She didn't have any major health problems. And he described her just being full of life, full of energy. When she walked into a room, you know, she just lit up everybody around her. She was just like a fun person. And also mm-hmm. she was fluent in five languages. That's amazing. It is. And she also had her pilot's license. She raced cars, ran marathons, and she loved her family. Loved to meet her, loved to know her, learn more about her. Just she's done so many great, amazing things at the young age of 39. And just live such an active lifestyle where Mm -hmm. I feel like it would be easy to assume that like she is someone that would seem in great health in order to do many of those things. Like you're literally flying planes and you're racing cars and you're running marathons. So pregnancy, she had done it before. Everything was fine then. There would really be no concern or worry. I can understand from from the two of them, Kira and Charles, because this this is just second time around and you're oh so excited mm-hmm. because you get to bring another person into your family and into this world and and share your life with them. Exactly. And on April 12th, 2016, she was scheduled to go in for a routine scheduled C-section at Cedars Sinai Medical Center. And in all the interviews, she was healthy, didn't have any complications like leading up to this pregnancy. It was a scheduled routine C-section. And her husband was saying, you know, he had no worries, no doubts. She gave birth to a healthy baby boy named Langston and everything was going fine. Looking at the interviews and the pictures, Charles is in the operating room smiling, taking pictures, Kira smiling, holding her new baby boy. Everything was going as planned until she got into the recovery area. Kira, she started to complain of some pain in her abdomen. Her husband, he also noticed that there was 
some pink in her Foley catheter, some blood in her catheter. So he immediately alerted the staff to what was going on, let them know that, you know, there's some blood in her catheter and she's also complaining of some pain. The doctors, they ordered some tests, including a CAT scan, which he said was supposed to be stat. And the CAT scan, it was ordered at 4 p.m. An hour later, the CAT scan still hadn't been done. Um, Her husband said the blood work was coming back and the blood work levels was very alarming and there was some abnormal results. In addition to her blood work being abnormal, Kira was also sensitive to touch. She started to lose color. She was looking a little bit dull and These are the early signs and symptoms of a hemorrhage, especially it didn't say which blood work specifically was abnormal, but just working in the hospital, her red blood cell count was probably dropping. That's one of the early signs of a hemorrhage. At around 9 p.m., we're at 9 p.m., CAT scan was ordered at 4 p.m., so still hadn't had the CT done at 9 Mm. p.m. So her husband pulls the nurse to the side and, you know, just wants to follow up. Like, what's going on? Why hasn't the CAT scan been done? So the nurse, she said, sir, your wife just isn't a priority right now. And this, what nursing school did she go to? <laughs> like, not even, I don't even think you need to go to a nursing school to understand right. how devastating and heartbreaking of a statement that is. He isn't asking about his wife who came in with a hangnail. She, He isn't asking even about his wife if she came in and she had maybe rolled her ankle and was just in the, the emergency room in pain and the Tylenol was wearing off. He is asking about his wife who just delivered their second child via C-section and there's something wrong. There's blood in her catheter she is losing color. She is sensitive to the touch. Like she is not okay in any way, shape or form to the point where you all ordered tests, some of which have not yes. been completed. And you have the nerve to look this man in the eye and tell him that she is not a priority. Who the hell is then? Who is a priority? Right. Like, Cause that you... makes no sense. Mm-hmm. How can you open your mouth and say that it's the casket was ordered at 4 PM it's 9 p.m. You're way out the window. I know things happen and, you know, things get backed up, but you got her test results. Her test results are abnormal. You need to be advocating for your patient mm-hmm. to get this CAT scan done, to figure out what's going on. What's, why is it taking so long? You can let the husband know, hey, I'm sorry that it's taking so long. I, I know, you know, she's not looking well. I've been calling the doctor. I've been calling CAT scan. This is what's going on. I'm looking for something. But to just say your wife is not a priority right now, this patient is not a priority. Based off her vital signs, her signs and symptoms, she is beyond a priority. Yes. You need to be hunting this doctor down. You need to be taking her to CAT scan yourself. Like, this is insensitive. It doesn't make sense mm-hmm. I'm questioning your your judgment. What do you mean she is not a priority? Yeah, it's beyond insensitive, especially with mm-hmm. the outcome of everything that happened. That again, you're not listening. You you didn't listen to Kira, exactly. and now you're not listening to her advocate, her husband, who is desperately trying to figure out what is wrong with my life. What is happening? Can someone help me? 
And, and your response to that is like, well, she's not a priority right now. It wasn't until after midnight that staff members, they rushed Kira off to the operating room. So her husband recalls, like, as they're wheeling her down the hallway, Kira says to him, you know, baby, I'm scared. And once they reach the operating doors, her husband can't go in. And one of the doctors, they said to him, it's not a big deal. Sometimes these things happen. She'll be back in 15 minutes. And that was the last time he saw his wife alive. Mm. And that was the last thing she said. So at 2.22 a.m., Kira, she was pronounced dead at Cedars Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. Once they got her to the operating room, they discovered that she had 3.5 liters of blood in her abdomen. And for context, the normal adult blood volume is around five liters. So in her abdomen, she has 3.5 liters of blood. So basically the doctors had nicked her bladder. They cut her bladder. So she was bleeding internally. So for more than 10 hours, she was hemorrhaging into her abdomen. And like we were saying before, you recognize those early signs and symptoms. You're losing color her blood levels are dropping, her heart rate's probably going up, and then her blood pressure's dropping. You know, she's not as responsive. She basically lost 70% of her circulating blood volume. In over 10 hours, you know, what interventions was done? You know, by the time they took her to the operating room, she ended up coding, and they couldn't bring her back. I just don't understand how she went 10 whole hours without any intervention and it's multiple people are at fault as mm-hmm. nurse and staff a patient she just had a c-section that's a major surgery and operation so there's specific times you need to be constantly checking on the patient seeing what's going on on a maternity unit you know you're looking at that foley you're looking at the output if she's bleeding into her bladder when you pee your urine is it's supposed to be yellow even if you had surgery maybe like you maybe see some clots a little bit but you looking at that fully, this is abnormal. Maybe she's soaking through a lot of pads more frequently. There's a signs and symptoms. She's bleeding into her abdomen. Is her stomach getting bigger? You know, there's certain signs. Like mm-hmm. you said, you got the blood work. The blood work is showing that she is losing blood. What are you doing? I worked in a med surge post-surgical unit. So we got patients after they had surgery. And you learn what the most common complications are. And for most surgeries, hemorrhage is one that you're looking out. We call it like ABCs, your airway, breathing, circulation. Mm. Circulation is a part of that hemorrhage. So you are aware as a nurse in the top of your head, you're looking for something to go wrong. You know what a normal, healthy birth after a C-section looks like. And you know when a patient just doesn't look right. So for you to say it's not a priority, for you to let this go 10 hours, when you see a patient, they have a drop in their blood cells or something abnormal. My role, I'm like hunting down the doctors. What are we doing? Are we giving her some blood? Like you said, are we doing the CT? Like, are we taking her back to surgery to do something? What interventions? And if you have a charge nurse, that charge nurse is on you. Like, what have they done? Is the blood order? Are we giving her blood? Is she going back to surgery? What are they doing? Has the doctor been here? She would be my priority patient to see what can be done because this is not normal. For her to go 10 hours without an intervention, I just don't that's, understand. It's just that's what makes 
the like the least amount of sense out of just all of this where it's just such negligence that 10 hours this woman sat there like internally bleeding 10 hours of moments when you know she's saying something's not okay her husband's then saying something's not okay you're talking to the hospital staff you're trying to get people to look at her and and figure out and diagnose what's going on and asking, okay, you, you ordered these tests, but then you ordered this and that wasn't completed. What's happening? Why are we not moving forward? What happened then for them to finally go, oh, I guess we need to rush her to an operating room because now things have gotten so dire. What happened that you finally then said, oh, now she's a priority. She's a priority now that she's on the brink of death. Let's now try to do something. And it seems a little flippant to say, it's not a big deal. Sometimes right. these things happen. She'll be back in 15 minutes. I could understand that statement being said if this was 30 minutes post C-section and mm-hmm. they were already noticing something wasn't right. And it's just like, it's, it, this isn't a big deal. We'll be right back. We'll see what's going on because something is a little off. Maybe even yeah. an hour post C-section. We're talking about 10 hours later. Y'all mm-hmm. let this woman bleed out. It was already, and yes, it was an accident. Accidents happened that you nicked her bladder during the C-section. But unfortunately, because of your poor treatment of this woman and her husband, you allowed mm-hmm. that that accident, that nick that should have been addressed shortly after the procedure to be ultimately the the cause of her death, the reason why she died. But more importantly, she died because y'all didn't care enough about her life because she wasn't a priority to you all. You didn't care enough right. to make sure that she was okay post-surgery. And like you said, C-sections, I think they're, be- well, they definitely are becoming more and more commonplace when it comes to, to pregnancy and birth, but that's a major surgery. It's a major surgery. It's a major exactly. surgery. You're being cut open. Anesthesia is mm-hmm. being used. Like you, that is not something to sort of, sort of cough at and go, well, she's not a priority post-C-section. Says who? Anyone post C-section should be a priority. They need to be monitored closely, like you said, where, you know, you being a nurse, if you were in the situation, it would just be like you would be hounding people down until they finally figured out what was wrong with her. It wasn't like, oh, they ordered the blood test and everything came back hunky dory and they were like, "Mm, whatever, we'll we'll get to her eventually. No, you ordered one test and it came back and something was off. So then you clearly need to to put more time and effort into figuring out what's wrong. Yeah, like this is clearly negligence for her to lose 3.5 liters of blood to be waiting 10 (sighs) hours for an intervention to be done, the proper intervention. Mm -hmm. It's just insane and with hemorrhage just my nursing background there's early signs and there's late signs y'all saw the early signs she's getting pale she's losing color you draw blood you're checking her vital signs her blood pressure is probably dropping her heart rate is going up from normal you're seeing the signs and Mm -hmm. then 10 hours later you're in the late stages of hemorrhage which where is where you don't want to be, which is harder to reverse because you're losing 3.5 liters of blood. Trying to rapidly replace all that, it, mm. she's lost that over 10 hours and you're trying to rapidly, say, infuse her with blood or pump or get that blood back into circulation. It's really hard at this point. Or if they would have 
started addressing this early like oh hey her blood is dropping let's identify where the source where is she bleeding she is Mm -hmm. clearly bleeding where is she bleeding from let's start replenishing her blood while we are identifying where she is bleeding from stuff could have been done and just not listening to the patient not listening to her husband it's like every week i say it it's insane but it is nurses Patients are advocating for themselves. They're bringing stuff to your attention. You have to listen. You have to bug the doctor. You know, I've been a new nurse and you don't want to, you know, you might be afraid to ask the doctor to bug them. But in nursing school, they teach you ask questions, question if you see something that's not wrong, go to your charge nurse, let your charge nurse know. Let if there's senior nurses on your floor, hey, something is not right. Something is going on. Bug that resident, bug that doctor, go up that chain of command. Just so you know that you've done everything for this patient. Like, yes, maybe the doctor's giving you pushback, like, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing. But you're like, something is not right. And I've just told the doctor, I was like, just come look at this patient. Sometimes just like, please come down here and look at the patient. Look at these vital signs. Look at the results. And, you know, why is it the CAT scan? If everybody's like, oh, we're waiting for the CAT scan. We're waiting for the CAT scan. But the CAT scan is not being done. You might, hey, can you listen out for my other patients? I'm taking this patient. I'm waiting outside of CAT scan with her so we can get it done. 10 hours. (laughs) I just don't, I can't imagine if you're working a 12 hour shift, you waiting 10 hours for this to happen. That's like your whole shift. Yeah, 10 hours is such a long time when so many people could have intervened in some way to help save this woman's life. Y'all had all the time in the world. She wasn't a priority. So, and and this is the unfortunate result of her not being a priority because y'all didn't care enough to listen to her or her husband. A black woman died when she did not have to. Not Uh, at all. Husband does not have his wife to help raise his kids. These kids will grow up without their mother from something that could have been prevented. It's just sad. And just listening to him describe what was what happened that day. And he recalls just having nightmares. He was like, what could I have done differently? He said, should I have yelled at the doctor, you know, grabbed them to get them to do something? What could I have done to change this outcome? Because like I said, she was healthy didn't have any, you know, serious health problems going into this. You know, they were looking forward to taking home their second child and, you Mm -hmm. know, going on about their lives. He was just devastated, Charles, after his wife died. Like he, he said it never crossed his mind that his sons would not be able to grow up without their mom. He just couldn't understand how this could happen. He honestly thought his wife's story was an exception. This was not the normal. This was like a fluke. This shouldn't have happened. This just happened to me. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not the norm. Just something just went totally wrong this way. But he began to talk to other people. People began to like share their stories with him of bad birthing experiences or about like somebody else dying in birth. And then he started digging up and doing more research. And he just learned the statistics of how like black women are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth. And he just realized, no, this is not an exception. This is a crisis. And he's like, how come more people aren't talking about this? This is when his advocacy begins. He's like, 
why aren't more people talking about this maternal mortality crisis that's going on? Why are so many women, Black women especially, dying in childbirth? Like, why are these statistics so devastating? Like, how is this continuing to happen and nobody is, like, raising the alarm? Like, what is going on? This this should not be happening. And he admits that it was really painful to open up and start telling his wife's story about what's going on. So it was around Mother's Day in 2017 that he began like sharing her story. And the hopes is just to like raise awareness to what's going on and just advocate for other moms that nobody should have to deal with this. Nobody should go into the hospital and give birth and not come home with their family. So that was the start of it. And I listened to him recount the story that he gave for the March for our moms. And it's just so sad, just so devastating. Also in 2017, he did file a lawsuit. So Charles Johnson, his mother is the famous TV judge, Judge Hatchett. So they filed a malpractice lawsuit against Cedars Sinai Hospital. And I know you were digging into this part of the case. Yeah, because with the lawsuit where this is a clear case of medical malpractice, there's no question about it where the initial nick of her bladder, it was an accident, but that's malpractice. And then it... Mm -hmm. Ultimately, that led to her death because y'all weren't paying attention and didn't make her a priority. But the crazy thing is, since they're in California, there is a law that has been around, I believe, since 1975 that puts a cap on the malpractice damages that families can receive that you would say this is all you get. And there have been so many other cases where people have gone after medical malpractice. And I remember seeing that someone ended up, their child ended up with cerebral palsy and blindness and a jury awarded them $7 million. But the law dictated, oh no, you only get $250,000. And so that in and of itself is just crazy. But on top of that, the cost of trying to go after hospitals and go after doctors for this money and getting lawyers involved, a lot of lawyers don't want to touch it because that's not enough money to then go to the victim's families, but then also pay for any sort of legal help that they're receiving. So I know that's also part of Charles's advocacy is working for, what is it called? The Fairness for Patients So what it's called is the Fairness for Injured Patients Act, and they're trying to remove that cap because at the end of the day, that cap is benefiting the insurance companies. It's not benefiting victims. It's not as though insurance companies don't have the money to pay the victims. And that was put in place so long ago, and they're working to adjust that where it it is actually going to be beneficial for the victims and their families. Because Mm -hmm. you're putting a price on someone's life or their quality of life. It was an accident. Potentially something happened. It was an accident. In this case, an accident then turned into negligence, then resulting in her death. And- Mm -hmm she is worth far more than $250,000. That's 
not saying in any way that money is going to bring her back or in other people's cases that money is going to make them better, but that more money will help them live the best life that they can possibly live in the circumstances that they have, or more money could help provide for the the cost of therapy. Also, I was going to say, you just lost a loved one or even if they're injured and then Mm -hmm. you have to go through the process of getting a lawyer, trying to fight the hospital, going up against these, the doctors, the lawyers and having a suit and you have to put up more money. At the same time, like you're raising your children as a single dad, a single parent is you shouldn't have to go through all these hoops to get justice that you need. Like you said, you can't put a price on this person's life and the mm-hmm. void that is lost and that their children, their loved ones have to adjust to, but it shouldn't be this difficult to file a lawsuit and to get this done. So with the Fairness Act, they will settle outside of court, but these hospitals, like things need to be put in place so the hospitals can take accountability. What are they doing so that this doesn't happen again? Like, Mm -hmm. yes, you're giving the family money, but what else is being done to prevent this. And like I said, hospitals, they have insurance. So it's all going through the insurance, the insurance companies, you know, they're going to fight so that they can cap it off and don't have to pay them. But these families, they need to be properly compensated. And they also shouldn't, it shouldn't be such a struggle to get the justice that they demand. As of right now, based off our research, Kira's case is still pending. Mm hmm. And the hospital, their statement was they gave a, like a very generic statement. They basically said they couldn't give specific details about the case due to privacy laws. And they said Cedar sinai they thoroughly investigate any situation where there are concerns about a patient's medical care. They also said like Kira's death was a tragedy and that Charles and his mom, Judge Hatchett, they're demonstrating and an important leadership in raising awareness of preventable maternal deaths. But what is the hospital doing to prevent this from actually happening? Yes, you're looking into the case, but what interventions are you putting in place to prevent this? And as we said, Charles took the advocacy into his own hands by sharing Kira's story, sharing what happened and how he lost his wife to this preventable complication. Like Mm -hmm. it could have been addressed earlier and something could have been done. This week, the organization we wanted to feature was For Kira, For Moms, the advocacy organization that Charles started after this all happened, after all his research and looking up statistics and realizing that, unfortunately, Kira is one of many women who have fallen victim to these circumstances, he decided to take action and form this nonprofit organization. And they have a mission to advocate for improved maternal health policies. Charles stated in an interview that first and foremost, they advocate for and try to become a voice for the voiceless because there are so many families that are suffering in silence and and don't have a platform and their stories just go unnoticed. So it's so great that then he's taking that platform and he's highlighting all the other families who 
maybe even were suffering in silence, that maybe were like him initially thinking this was a one-off, this is an outlier situation where it was something tragic that happened, but you know, it only really happened to me. And he's helping lift their voices up and give them a voice. And he's advocating for change with this organization, which is which is so important. And like we said earlier, if you're advocating for change, trying to benefit those you know most affected, which are Black women, then everyone's going to benefit from it. Everyone's going to profit from the maternal health outcomes being improved for Black women. Everyone in this country, every other woman will then be positively impacted from it and it will be better. It won't be such a scary thing anymore. Like 60%, like we said, are preventable complications. 60% of them are preventable. Preventable. And like you said, it's hard that he lost his wife. His children are growing up without their mom. He's using his pain and his hurt to advocate for other families so that they don't have to go through what's going on. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you'll hear these stories and it, and then they'll go away. But he's making sure other people, their stories are being known that it can be addressed. In addition to telling his story, he's also been advocating at the le- legislative level. So in 2018, he was working with Congress and he got the Preventing Maternal Death Acts passed. In this law, it provides over $12 million per year for five years for states to create committee with the goal to track, review, and investigate incidents of maternal mortality. It passed unanimously through the House and the Senate. And in his state, California, I was reading this article, they're really looking at the root cause, which is racism, of why so many Black women are dying in childbirth and reviewing the deaths, the complications, and seeing what they can do to prevent it. You know, more states, they need to be coming together. They need to be sharing this information. Even like I was saying, recognizing hemorrhage early on after Mm -hmm. having a baby on these maternity units, having these standards in place. This is a major law that passed and states need to take advantage of this and do something about it. We have the money. We have the funding. We are doing the investigation. You know, we need to start implementing things to change these outcomes, these preventable deaths. We need to start preventing them. And some ways that you can support For Care for Moms is you can go to their website and sign a petition that is going to tell Congress and especially California legislators and the California Health Department that mothers should not die giving birth. And then you can also support For Care for Moms by joining the conversation and even sharing your own story and following Charles's mission to fight to help send mothers home with their babies. And you can also go to their website and donate to their fundraising cause to support the amazing work that they're doing. Yeah, there are several different ways that you can get involved and support listening to this podcast, sharing this podcast with other people, going to the For Care for Moms website, signing the petition, sharing their information, and just go on YouTube and listen to his story. It's so sad and just listening to him, you see the pictures, the videos of Kira. You just hope for a different outcome. Like, why did this happen? It's just, it's sad. And there's things that we can do. 
we can support their mission and, you know, at the legislative level, support laws that can help in your state change the health outcomes for moms. So please share this episode. Go to the Four Cares for Moms website, donate. There's several different things that you can do to spread the word, spread awareness so that we can advocate for ourselves and advocate for all mothers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Kira Johnson's story exemplifies the health disparities Black mothers face every day in this country. We are hopeful that advocacy efforts and organizations like For Kira For Moms can improve these negative outcomes and help dismantle the racist systems that negatively impact us. If you would like to suggest a topic we should discuss, share your own personal story, or shout out an organization or individual, please email us at distrustanddisparities at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Instagram, Facebook at Distrust and Disparities and Twitter at Distrust Pod. Thank you.